up, guys? How y'all been doing? Hey, What's up, man? Hey. Uh, it's good to see y'all. How's, uh, how's life been lately, man? Oh, my gosh. If it, if it was any better, I couldn't stand it. Oh, my <laughs> I mean, just, and it's been that way for a long time, honestly. Just marriage, being a dad to four kids. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a paradise. In the spring of 2019, I just went off my medications completely. I just kind of thought that I was in a place where I could do that. And I'm telling you, I entered like a, a nightmarish season. Um, I mean, snapshot picture, like ended up in the hospital for a week. I wow. uh, wasn't able to work. Uh, someone had to take over the James Island campus. You know, people don't understand. It's like when your brain gets to a certain level of sickness, like you, you, you can't do anything about it, you know? So I actually went through like three days where I was fully convinced that the best option was to check out of life. I check mean, it out? Was what do you mean check out? Like take, take my life, you know, oh, for, for, for three days. And what's crazy is I look back on that time with a, with a healthy mind, and I can't imagine thinking that's the best route to take. Right. But I know for sure that's what I was thinking at the time. And, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people, they would go the spiritual route and say, we just need to seek God more and pray more and all of that. And I, I'm a pastor, and I'm telling people there's a certain level of pain and sickness where spirituality does not do you any good. Have you been dealing with this, like, your whole life? or Nothing to this degree. Like, it really was getting off of all of my medications that was a bad decision on my part. So we're talking four solid months of just complete misery. Wow. Complete misery. And, and did you, in that time, did you try reaching out to others? Like, how, how did that... Oh, yeah. That? Well, I didn't have a choice because I, I really couldn't go on. I mean, I remember coming to church on Sunday mornings. Here I am leading everything and, and literally not having the stamina emotionally and I would go back into a back room and just start sobbing. My wife would go get the elders. They would pray over me. And, you know, we finally had to make a decision at, at Seacoast for Joey to step out of the picture for a little while and, and have time to heal and get whatever help that he needs. And thankfully, we have a culture where people understand mental illness and, and a scientific understanding that it was, you know, a pastor here, Chip Judd, would always tell me, hey, this you got to remember, this is something happening to you. Like, right. it's happening to you. And that was helpful for me to hear. But ha has, it, has it been hard to be that open, or is it just... I mean, I wish I could say, yeah, because that would probably sound better. Yeah. But it just, it just hasn't. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't... I don't maybe, it's, maybe it's a gift God gave me not to be ashamed of it. Like, yeah. I, I really see it as my thorn. Yeah. And, and Paul says to boast in your weaknesses yeah. and, you know, God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be quiet about my weaknesses. It would just be caught up in ego and pride, you know. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. And it's also, uh, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at an offsite campus or on the internet or maybe at home, we're, uh, we're glad that you're along with us uh, today too. I, I need to say, uh, as just kind of a precursor to the message, uh, this, some of you maybe came expecting uh, a, a message on marriage. Uh, Josh, our lead pastor last week, said that he and Lisa were going to uh, teach one on, on this series. Um, I'm okay, not really, uh, in marriage. And then uh, Josh's son, 
Miles, who's my grandson, won a soccer tournament. And so they're in the state finals this week. And I'd hate for him to miss that on the weekend. So told me that, yeah. So, so he told me that on Tuesday. And he said, uh, hey, Dad, I need you to bail me out. I've been bailing him out all month. Uh, you know, COVID, Easter, all of this. He said, I, I need you to speak this weekend. And I need you to give us a message on depression and suicide. Well, I immediately got depressed. Uh, it's like, seriously? But uh, listen, how many of you have ever been fired? Anybody been fired? Been fired? Okay. Oh, come on. There's more than that. Just raise them up. Okay, you've been fired. I got fired from my first real job in ministry. Actually, it was the third time I got fired, but the first two didn't count because one was my dad and the other was my grandpa. Okay, so that didn't count. So, so I was a youth pastor in Fort Collins, Colorado, just been married. I had uh, Jason was our first child, and I thought I was doing a good job, and I was about a year, year and a half into it, and uh, the pastor called me in and fired me. Not only did he fire me, he told me, you know what, the best thing for you to do would be to go back to work for Hewlett Packard Company, where I worked before I, I, I came to, uh, to, to the ministry job. He said, because you'll never amount to anything in ministry. That's, that, that was his goodbye out the door. Now, did that make me depressed? No, not a bit. I was 22 years old, and I'm thinking, you're bad. You will regret this. I'll show you. That was just my attitude at the time, the ignorance of youth. All right, it's okay. So we went to um, live with my parents in St. Louis, Missouri. We lived in their basement for about six or eight weeks. And then um, I, I wanted to be a, a senior pastor. I figured if I couldn't make it as a youth pastor, I might have the stuff to be a senior pastor. You know? The ignorance of youth, did I mention that? And so the denomination that I was a part of at the time uh, had a process where a church would send a call. You would go and preach maybe a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then they'd vote on you. It was kind of like American Idol meets Survivor. You know, they vote you off the island before you ever get on, you know, that type of thing. And uh, so there's a little town in central Illinois called Pena. Anybody ever been to Pena, Illinois? I'm alone on this one, okay? Uh, little town, and um, they had a nice little building, but they had nine members, okay? So that weekend, with Debbie and Jason and myself and their nine members, we had 12 people, and I worked hard. I, I did the, the, uh, the Sunday school class, and then they had one Sunday school class. There were no kids, you know. And then I preached. And after I got done preaching, uh, the, the head deacon or elder came up to me and said, you won't have to preach tonight. We've taken a quorum and you're not it. So I was uh, uh, 0 for 9 on that vote, okay? 9 nothing. you know. Did that make me depressed? No, they missed it. They missed it, okay? And I didn't want to live in pain anyway, all right? So the next weekend, I went to Freeport, Illinois. I was up in the northwest corner, a little farming community, and uh, it was quite a bit bigger church. They had 13 members, and so I preached. It was December the 10th. I'll never forget it, 1978. I preached Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then I went into the basement, Debbie and I did, and they voted on us, and we got it. It was like 11 votes, four, and two abstentions. I thought, that's a landslide, you know, <laughs> landslide. So I was excited, and, uh, 
And so we, we were going to change the world. I'll never forget moving from St. Louis to Northern Illinois uh, in late December, early January of 1979. And I preached my first message on Sunday morning. I preached my second one on Sunday night. I preached my third one on Wednesday night. That's how we used to roll. And it dawned on me, I only had five messages all together. I preached the first ones to get the thing. And now I'm out. What do you do now? I called dad. Dad, what do you preach? Send me some outlines or something, you know. And then January the 14th, actually it happened on January 13th, but I remember January 14th because it was my 23rd birthday. January the 13th and 14th was the great blizzard of 79. Wikipedia, look it up. It's in there. If you lived in Chicago, you know what that was about, okay? We didn't live in Chicago, but we got the same stuff out in the country. There was supposed to be a snowstorm, two to four inches. It ended up 21 inches and 50 mile an hour winds, and it just disrupted everything. There were snow piles that were 30 inches high, and here was this, the hard part about it, is that snow never melted. In fact, it added to, added to, added to, added to, added to, never melted for 56 days, okay? So we had snow clear to the, the roof line of, of, of our house. If you had a driveway, you just dug it and tried to get it up as, as high as you could. No, you couldn't see any snow or any uh, street signs, anything like that. It was in that second or third week of that reality that an unwanted visitor came into our home. That unwanted visitor was depression. I'd never experienced it in my life. I first began to feel sad. And then the sadness uh, uh, lingered, and then I started to feel depressed. I didn't even know what that felt like. I'd never felt it before. And, uh, and that lingered, and that lingered, and it was six months. I wanted to quit. I wanted to leave. I cried all the time, slept in my bed during the daytime, could not sleep at night, just totally miserable. I had, no, I had nobody to talk to, and I didn't know anything about medicine at the time. And the only way I got through it was by the grace of God, uh, my positive dad, who's one of the most positive people in the world, and a loving, wonderful wife. And six months later, somehow, we crawled out of this depression and the visitor left. One last time I saw the visitor, when we, uh, we moved to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and we weren't here three weeks until we had a car wreck. And I've talked about that before in the past, but it was a massive car wreck, and, and uh, two, of, two of my kids were uh, in, in comas in, in medical university. And I can, I can remember looking out with Debbie on about the eighth or ninth floor, whatever the children's wing was at the time, over the city of Charleston and just weeping and saying, why did we move here? We don't know anybody. And the visitor came back in the home. Now, the visitor didn't stay as long that time, just maybe two or three weeks. But then a little bit later, uh, we started Seacoast Church right here. I was so excited about that. Had a vision. First weekend was in a movie theater that now is a Volkswagen dealership. We had 340 people. Every seat in the movie theater was full. I was so excited. I thought, we're going to have revival. And we did. We had a Gideon revival. We had less people every week than the week before <laughs> for a number of years. Okay? It's not what we teach at ARC. <laughs> But it was five years until we actually saw the same number that we had that first week, and, and the visitor came back and stayed for a little while. Not a long time, but just a little while. Um, I, I remember when we were in the process of building, or we wanted to build this building right here 20 years ago, and the city of Mount Pleasant said no, and it was all 
in the newspapers and the visitor came back. Probably uh, the strongest that the visitor's ever been here since the very beginning was in 2020. Anybody have a visit with discouragement and depression in 2020? Anybody at all? Yeah. Uh, Darren Patrick, my close friend, died and uh, took his own life. And that was in May of 2020. And, uh, and uh, uh, so, so I, I went away to Colorado just to try to get myself together a little bit. And during that time, I started to be canceled by folks in the church over how we handled mass and how we handled the election and how we handled the racial tension that was then and is still now. And, uh, and, and the, the visitor came back home and stayed for a good long time. I've struggled with it for, for several months. Better right now. Much, 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 much better. But um, an unwanted guest came back into our home. Um, here's the truth, is that the statistics I've read says that that unwanted guest has come into a lot of homes during 2020. A lot of homes. Um, the statistics tell us that those who are going to screenings for depression is up 93% over uh, 2019. 93% up over 2019. Those that are considering uh, suicidal thoughts um, uh, and report them are higher than any time in history since these types of things have been um, counted. Uh, highest among uh, students, about 15%. Uh, down to about 5% among people my age. Maybe we've just been around for longer and we know that you come out on the other side of these things. But uh, there, there is an, an almost epidemic right now of mental, not, not almost, I, I would say there is an epidemic of mental health issues uh, in our country and around the world. I deal with pastors all the time. In fact, we just opened a retreat center that I am so excited about. We had our first group of pastors two weeks ago. We've got another group coming in tomorrow. You pray for, for that. It's very exciting. I see God do incredible things. The last group was like PTSD. Same story over and over and over and over again. And so, and so what do you do and how do we handle that? Well, what I wanted to do today is first, I'm gonna, uh, you're gonna hear a testimony of clinical depression. There are all kinds of different depression. There, there, there's mild depression, there's moderate depression. That's mostly what I've dealt with in my life. And then there's clinical depression. Then I wanna give you a, a real short Bible study at the end that talks about uh, how you can climb out um, if, if, uh, in similar situations that I'm in. So if you would, would you welcome Joey and Priscilla uh, who are our campus pastors at the Johns Island campus? Joey and Priscilla Svensson. It's like a really long walk, actually. It is a long walk. It's a long ways over there. So, uh, first of all, thanks for, thanks for being here. How long have you guys been at Seacoast? We have been here for 19 years, 16 years on staff. We really like it here. Good. I think we're going to stay for a while. Are you going to stay? Yeah. Who's your favorite pastor? Well, my boss, actually, Sam Lesky. Oh, Sorry, I mean. Swing and a miss there. Okay. <laughs> we love you guys. You started the 
James Island campus and now 2008 the and John's then, Island campus. Yep. You call it the Jimmy John campus, right? We're the Jimmy John campus representing. All right, Joey, we heard your story just a little bit right. uh, on the roll in before the message. Uh, why don't we start by having you share just a little bit of your background and what the last two years have looked like for you? Sure. So born and raised in Charleston, like sixth generation uh, Charleston boy. And we've been married for 19 years. We've got four kids. And I basically have struggled with depression and anxiety at least since middle school. I didn't realize that's what it was at the time. On and off antidepressants, mainly on since 98. I know I don't look that young, but my parents started me when I was like a little baby. You're they, a sad they just baby. thought I was a little sad baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... So I do want to make clear that what we're talking about today is a whole different ballgame from anything that I've ever experienced and that we've experienced together. So I got off my antidepressants, and I think you forgive me now, right? <laughs> I do forgive you, but um, a funny, kind of funny story, but also encouraging. Uh, when, I, when we entered into our crisis and I realized, whoa, we are, we are in a really bad place, I reached out to Chip Judd, get some advice, figure out next steps, and I needed to start rallying people. And after we ended the conversation, he said, well, Priscilla, when he gets better, who's going to kill him first, me or you, for getting him off his medication? <laughs> you do realize there wouldn't be a second turn. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> so I was really excited to be off my antidepressants and not be depressed. But my anxiety was cranking up. I couldn't stop my thoughts, just open tabs at night that I couldn't close. My emotions were just kind of all over the place. Yeah, I would say from my perspective, you were, you had a very high level of energy that felt a little off, and I would bring it up to you, and you were almost frustrated with me because you're like, but I'm not depressed. Right, right. So then I finally broke, fell into a really dark place. I couldn't sleep. I, my anxiety was actually through the, the roof, and I felt like everything in the world was worst case scenario. Everything I saw, every situation in my life was just absolute worst case scenario. And it wasn't physical pain, but if you would have seen me at the time, you would have thought that I was in physical pain. And it did take a toll on my physical body. Yeah, it I think I lost like, 30 pounds. Yeah, mental torment was presenting itself in a physical way. Like you, you looked like you were dying. Yeah. And I started to have a fear that over time I really did feel like it was going to come to pass, and that was that I was never going to get better. She had left some pictures of my kids when I was in the hospital, and I used to look at those pictures sobbing because I thought my season as a father for them was over. Like, I, I legit thought that it was done. You know, one of the things you said there is that you felt like it was never going to be better. I think that's a common thing whether that's mild, depression, discouragement, moderate, or clinical, is it, it almost begins with a worst-case scenario, plus it's never going to get better. Right. Yeah. right, yeah, absolutely. And so I know when people think about suicide, they talk about it as someone chose to take their life. Some people have even said that was such a selfish choice. Why would they do that to their family? And my, with my experience in 2019, I didn't feel like I had a choice. That, that was the only option. If I was going to be this way for the rest of my life, then it would be hard for her and the kids at first, 
but in the long run, it would be better for everybody. I thought it was the right decision. And so now when I hear about people taking their, their life, I, I'll never see it in the same way because I feel like I kind of walked in those shoes. So you thought it was the right decision at the time. Totally convinced. You look back now, and how do you think about those moments? Yeah, so I can kind of put my mind back there and, and relate to someone with a very sick, broken brain. But it's, it's hard to really be in touch with who that Joey was then because now I have a healthy brain. It's like you legitimately see the world so differently. I mean, your, your brain is what manufactures thoughts and perspectives and everything. So it would make sense that when it's broken, you actually believe lies. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so today you would say, wow, I, th I thought there, there could never be a change, but the quality of your life is so much different. Now. Yeah. 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 So um, what's been the fruit of your transparency? So I'll tell you a quick story that kind of encapsulates that. Back in the West Campus days, I was at the West Ashley campus doing young adult ministry. And I was always open about my depression and anxiety. So a girl called me up and it was just a basic conversation. She just asked, how long have I struggled with depression? How long have you been on medication? And I just answered her questions. We got off the phone. It's like, okay, I don't know what that was about. Well, I find out about two months later that she was suicidal. She was going to take her life, but she said, I'll call this pastor guy who, who struggles with depression. So she literally needed solidarity. It made her feel less alone. Peter says in, in his first epistle something about the saints struggling with their faith and just know there's other saints all over the world going through the same thing. He said that because that brings a sense of comfort. Yeah, me too is some of the most healing words. Right. You sit in a small group and you hear, you know, I've got those too, yeah. Yep. So uh, speaking of small group, what, what, what role did the, your church family play in getting you through that season? What was helpful and what was not as helpful maybe? Yeah, so I see my pastoral role this way. Like I accept responsibility as the point person, the leader, but I do not accept the responsibility of being the strongest and the wisest and the fullest of the Holy Spirit. I think what churches need to do like ASAP is to humanize their pastors for many reasons, but I'll give you one for our mental health. Like it's an honor for us to lead our campus, but do not think of us as superhuman because that's actually bad for us. Like we are trying just like everyone. So what I loved about this season, I never want to go through it again, but was just seeing our people at our campus pastor and take care of us as their brother and sister in Christ. And as long as I'm a pastor, that's how I want to be seen as a fellow brother and sister. Priscilla, you want to add to that? Yeah. I, well, just going back to when Joey was in the hospital and I was trying to describe to the kids what was going on. And I was telling them, you guys, everybody goes through something hard in their life. Everybody does. Sometimes you have more than one and this one's ours. And you'd be surprised at how common this actually is. There's a lot of people suffering in silence and what is happening to daddy happens to a lot of people and they do get better because I didn't know what they were going to hear at school. My dad's in the hospital because of depression. I mean, what would kids say to them? I wanted them to be educated on what that actually meant. So I had a few do's and don'ts 
that I would suggest to people, if you're wanting to support somebody that's going through that or supporting a loved one that is supporting somebody, I would say do stand in hope with them. Hope is what sustained me. Seacoast is very good at providing hope. And so thank God that we were here. Um, do pray with expectancy, but don't just blanket it like we'll pray and then it's just better tomorrow because it takes time. It takes a lot longer than anyone would ever be comfortable with, but it does take time. Um, and do treat the person suffering with dignity and respect. So I feel like that word came to me a lot because sometimes that was not happening, even in a hospital or whatever. Like I sometimes think, oh, that person's whatever, and that they are a real person. It could truly happen to anybody. Do not shame a person. How about don'ts? Yeah, don't shame them. Yeah, don't shame. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other thing I would say is don't be afraid of a diagnosis because a diagnosis gives direction. I think some people are afraid of words like bipolar or major depression or anxiety. And I'm not talking about being nervous a little bit, but debilitating anxiety. But it gives direction, and there's a whole bunch of things that can happen out there to help you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people with good intentions that want to offer advice, and you gotta be careful with who you listen to because a lot of them, they don't know what they're talking about. They're trying to help, but they've never been in your shoes. They're not a professional. And I think as a church, capital C Church, we have got to be careful with how we toss words around like anxiety is something that you just claim scripture and it goes away. We gotta knock this nonsense off and, and catch up with, with science maybe. I mean, I just... I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed since the mid-90s that God, late 90s, that God would deliver me from depression. She's prayed ever since we were married, and God has helped through medication, through therapy, when I was at my worst, through ECT treatments. Mm -hmm. So It makes people feel shameful when they're sitting there and they're like, what am I doing wrong? What, am I not close enough to God? Why isn't he hearing me? And the actual next best step is just go seek help. You guys told a story last in the last service about Josh going down to want to see him. Would we share that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say God gave me a vision. I usually don't talk like that. God said to me, God gave me. Because sometimes, like you said, it could be bad burritos. But I definitely feel like God gave me a vision of a forest fire. And that sounds really scary. But for some reason, that gave me hope because I was like, this is what's really happening. It just devastated our land and we're just standing in ashes. And I felt it's so clear that he said to stay, you stand right here. And I think about if I were to see a forest fire, any of you guys were to see that, your eyes would get big and you'd be scared. But people stood with us. They didn't just stand on the outside and, and just be like, oh no. And when Joey was in the hospital and it was when I took him there, Josh Surratt uh, was texting me and he's like, can I come see him? And I was like, they're not letting him have any visitors. And he's like, okay, well, I'll just keep working downtown. I just want to be near. Mm. Every time I say that, I get a little choked up, but I hate crying in front of people because it's the ugliest cry you've ever seen. But I, it just means so much. And same with Lisa. Like, if you guys know her below the surface, she's fierce. She runs straight into a burning building if she has to, to help you. And people like that standing with us looking at me and not at least looking afraid. I learned later some people were like, I was a little afraid. And I'm like, well, thank you for not showing it to me because I didn't need to see your fear. I didn't need to handle anybody else's fear at that time. I just needed hope. Well, you, ne you never ugly cry, by the way. Just so. 
That was, that was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> um, the main thing I want to convey in your story is that there is hope. There is hope. And uh, Joy, I, there, there are people in this auditorium, there are definitely people online who will watch this at some point who they're considering suicide. They feel like it's the best, most logical thing to do right now. Yeah. Would you pray for them? Sure, sure. Yeah. Lord, we, we stand spiritually, Lord, with brothers and sisters that we don't even know. We don't know their names. We don't know who's going through these sorts of thoughts, these sorts of contemplations. But we ask, Lord, right now that you would, first of all, just save them from making a mistake. Mm -hmm. We also ask, God, that you would take away any shame. Lord, we pray that you would give them a thorough understanding that right now they have an organ in their body that is sick and needs help. Lord, and we ask that they would reach out for help. We ask for your peace to be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a suicide hotline uh, that I think they'll put on the screen uh, to take advantage of those things. We also have resources here. Thank you guys yep. for coming and being a part. You. Would you just uh, thank them for... So I've got about five minutes. I'll probably take eight. I want to I give you a real quick Bible study on a depressed worship leader, okay? His name was Asaph, and it's found in Psalm chapter 77. It doesn't tell us what it was that he was depressed about. It does tell us what he did uh, as a result. And, and I, I want to be quick to say what Joey was talking about is clinical depression, what I was talking about is mostly mild and moderate depression, and I think that's where the psalmist is too. But I wanted to talk about this just for a minute because I think there's probably many more people that would relate to moderate or mild than would relate to, to clinical, even though they're both a reality, okay? So Asaph in Psalm 77, first thing he did when the invited guest, uninvited guest comes is ask God for help. Ask God for help. Seems so obvious, but... Sometimes we wait till the very end to do that. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out uh, uh, to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. Now, how, how might God's help come? We've talked about that just a little bit. God may bring a miracle, okay? During the season of time that our church was really experiencing a lot of that before COVID, um, I had a couple of people come and tell me, that God just miraculously took away the blueness, took away the sadness, and he can. He can, and I believe that he, he will continue to. Be careful to use that as an opportunity to get off medication that you've been on for a long time. Why don't you take some time, process it with friends and also with a counselor or psychiatrist, but could be a miracle. Sometimes God, and most often, will, will uh, answer your cry through medicine. And uh, Joey talked to us just a little bit about that. Sometimes it's a meaningful conversation, whether that conversation be with a, with a therapist who helps you or conversation with friends. I'll never forget uh, when Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Life, his son Matthew, uh, who was mentally ill, um, uh, took his own life in April of whatever year it was. And uh, a group of us, about four or five, who were friends with him, uh, decided to fly out there and spend Father's Day weekend with him. 
because that would be his first Father's Day without his son. And I remember what that was like. And I was also nervous as a friend. What do you say? What do you do? Rick relayed to us and also did in a podcast later that um, when he first found his son, his small group came around him. He'd been in a small group for 30-some years. Small groups are so very, very important. These people came, and Rick said this about it. He said, the deeper the trauma, the fewer words you need to say. If somebody's having a bad hair day, you can talk about that for an hour. But if someone's going through a big trauma or a loss or a problem or grief, they don't need your words. They just need your presence. You just need to be there. Story in the Bible of Job, remember? Job got really depressed because some really bad things happened to him. He had three friends show up. Everything was great till the first one opened his mouth, okay? If they would have just come and just sat, it would have been good, right? Ask God for help. Second thing is you redirect your thoughts. You redirect your thoughts. Now, Joey talked about in clinical depression, he couldn't at first redirect his thoughts. He, he thought constantly worst case scenarios. That's what our brain does. But you know what the, the psalmist said? I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? The answer to every one of those is no. But that's what his brain was telling him. And because his brain was telling him that God forget, forgot me, it'll never be different. It'll be like this all my life. The feelings that he had were feelings of discouragement and depression. And he goes on and he said, then I thought to this will I appear. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all of your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. He says, I'm gonna change the way that I think about this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna remember what the truth is. And that's a key. I remember when I was deep in my discouragement and depression early on, I discovered a book called Telling Yourself the Truth. Today, you would just call it um, um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. There was a Christian guy, a Christian girl, that talked about you can't change. It's very, very hard to change your feelings. You ever had somebody say to you, you shouldn't feel like that, and you do feel like that, and you can't, you're going, I can't change how I feel, and you're probably right. What you've got to change is how you think because how you think is causing how you feel and how you feel will impact how you behave. So you've got to go back and you've got to, you've got to capture the thoughts and uh, reinterpret them uh, uh, to, to, to be true. Also just remembering what God has done. Chip Ingram uh, suggests doing what he calls the napkin exer uh, exercise. Whenever you feel yourself starting to go downhill, put a ballpoint pen in your pocket, go to a restaurant, get a soda, pull out a napkin, not a cloth napkin. You've got to pay for those. And begin to list all the specific blessings that happened that day. I do this a lot. Or that week. Or that month. Or that year. These are facts, not feelings. Write down what God has done for you. List the top 10 answers of prayer in your life. List five people who love you. Write down the best things that have happened 
in your life. Because remembering is a biblical prescription for hope. So cry out to God, the psalmist says. Um, uh, rearrange your thoughts. Redirect them. And the third thing he says is basically learn to worship before your breakthrough. We've got a little uh, worship chorus that we sing called I'm going to praise before my breakthrough. And uh, it's so healing because worship recalibrates the soul. Worship is not the natural default when you're discouraged or depressed. You want to go in your room. You want to close in. But worship is part of the healing process. In fact, here, um, Asaph says, your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Here's what happened. Do you know what that was? That's a song. You say, well, it doesn't rhyme. Not in English, it doesn't. But he was writing a song to be sung in worship, and then Asaph wills himself to worship. Wills himself to be a part of worship. Because I like to say, I just want to say to you today, thank you for being here. And you know what? When God is in the house, anything can happen. God can lift a mood. God can change a circumstance. Catherine Green, uh, in her book, Darkness is My Only Companion, describes her tortured journey through 10 years of extreme depression and bipolar disorder and how gathering with God's people, the church, helped her. She says it's so important to worship in community, to ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you. Sometimes you literally cannot make it on your own, and you need to borrow the faith from those around you. Companionship in the Lord Jesus is powerful. I got, I got to tell you something. This, this, uh, this COVID uh, is, is an insidious disease. And I'm going to tell you where it came from. The pits of hell. <laughs> you thought I was going to say China, didn't you? <laughs> The pits of hell, and let me tell you why, more so than anything else, is the isolation that comes. You were not created for social distancing. You were not created for isolation. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that until a proper time, and hopefully that proper time is just about here. But you know what? God created us for relationship and community. I will never forget the first day we opened up here after several months of, of doing what our mayors and, and what our uh, uh, medical community said was the prudent thing to do. We're the largest thing in town. We're a potential super spreader event. And praise God, it has not happened. And you guys have been wonderful about that. But I remember the very first week that we came and I sat right here. And I had a lot of fears. I had fears about, God, will we create you know, COVID for people. And we, we did everything that we could not to. Had all kinds of things going on. And I remember the first worship song, I began to weep. And I look over and Debbie's crying too. And a lot of you experienced the same thing because we were created to worship in community. And I want to say to some of you who are at home right now, some of you need to stay there and there are reasons for that. But for some of you, it's time to come home. It's time to come and worship together. Because you, you know what? If, if church 
was all about content, then we ought to just listen to two or three, not name them, of the greatest preachers and communicators in America and watch them online and we'll call that church. It's not church. It's helpful. Church is the gathering of the saints together. Something happens in community. Oh. I better be done. I, I, I am done. So the psalmist said, cry out to God. Rearrange your thoughts and begin to worship before you even feel like it. Well, we're going we're gonna to do that. But I, want, I want to pray for you so our campuses will, will have a cue to move on to the next part. God, I thank you for this wonderful group of people who love you, uh, who are gathered together today in spite of all that we've encountered. And God, I pray that your spirit would be very, very real in this house, in this building, at home, in a car somewhere, Lord, in other campuses. Pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So here's what we're gonna do. I love response time. It's community. We're gonna have uh, prayer teams here and at every level in this building. And they wanna lend you their faith. It, it doesn't just happen to be a mental health issue. It may very well be. And you know, you say, well, what, what, what about the stigma of that? That's what the whole series is about. Let's lose the stigmas and let's move into what God wants for us. Maybe a physical situation, maybe something with your finances or kids or whatever it is. People will be here to pray for you. They want to lend you their faith. There'll be candles where you can go and pray for a friend or a family member or a loved one. Maybe you want to give them a link after this to this message. It would be helpful to somebody. But we're going to go to crosses. We've got them all through the auditorium and just ask for God's help. We're going to receive communion together and signifying that Jesus is the reason for our hope. And we're going to go to the offering boxes or online to an app and give. And then we're going to stand and we're going to worship. Some of us are going to cry. Some of us are just going to feel such joy to be able to do it. And some of us, it's going to be a sacrifice today to worship God. But let's worship before our breakthrough. So what's God saying to you? And uh, what are you going to do about it?